Welcome to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast. And now here's your host, Joe Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the May the Smoke Be With You podcast. You know, I kind of get tired of, of opening the podcast the same way, which is I'm really excited about this guest, but I'm really excited about this guest. We've got uh, a great guest lined up for us today. If you are on the social uh, networks, if you're on the, the Instagram, the Facebook, uh, all those things, there's a good chance if you're, if you're kind of nosing around in that barbecue space that you've seen this guy around. He's got quite the following. He's doing some amazing stuff on there. He's a member of the, uh, the Big Green Egg team, and I'm thrilled to be able to just kind of spend a little bit of time with him. So welcome in the barbecue Buddha. Chris Sussman. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Joe, if you could still hear me, you froze, I can. Uh, you froze I can. on your end for just a bit. You're back now. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, there was some... I, I was like, there was such a great buildup and I was so excited hey. to say hello and, and good to meet you and all that stuff virtually. And then all of a sudden I got the infamous and it just stuck. And I was like, oh, this must be a test. So I hope well, I it wasn't a test. Yeah, I think you passed, but hey, welcome welcome to the podcast, and we'll figure that out. We'll edit that. We'll do something, but there was some kind of a little technical glitch there, but welcome to the podcast, uh, Chris Sussman. How are we doing today? We're doing all right. Thanks, Joe, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. Well, thanks, man. And uh, you're joining us from, from Florida. Is that right? Down, I'm in, and, and you know, everybody says when you move to Florida or you're about to move to Florida, it's hot in Florida. How do you deal with the heat? And Typically, I'm answering that question during the winter when we are afforded such nice weather and we get to snub our noses at the rest of everybody. But I'll tell you, as the rest of the world is turning into fall weather, jeans, sweaters, footballs, and pumpkin lattes, it is hotter than holy heck down here. So, yes, I'm in hot, sunny Florida. Yes, sir. And where Central Florida, is that... uh, Uh, West coast of Florida, if you know the Tampa Bay area, I'm right in a little town just southwest of Tampa Bay called Gulfport that's nestled in between Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. Okay, that's a a beautiful, uh, beautiful part of the country, but you're right. It is probably just feels like an armpit right now. It's just excruciatingly hot. So this week I'm on a little bit of a sabbatical. I just didn't feel like cooking. Standing out over the hot pits and when it's 104 degrees outside, I had to make that critical decision. Do people want to see me sweat or do they not? And I and I, I just went for that they don't. So I'm taking a little down week this week being Labor Day. So that, that's all right. Yeah, you're, you're afforded that. You know, you've got uh, you have a body of content that can stand on its own and you can take a little break. Uh, and I'm sure you're still plugged in, of course. Yeah. Um, well, hey, you know, I, I love to kind of just hear your story a little bit, like how you got to be the barbecue Buddha, because I don't think you were born a barbecue Buddha. I think it was something that <laughs> that happened over time, if I'm if I'm guessing. So what was that process like? How did you get into barbecue and and how did you get here? It did. So uh, all the great questions and a good setup. Um, you know, there's a little trail of breadcrumbs from birth. My father, I was born into a food family before they had the label foodie. My dad was definitely a foodie. He was a restaurateur and owned three restaurants in and around the Washington, D.C. area. He eventually relocated to uh, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, and really helped put that food scene on the map back in the early 90s. So I grew up with the great love of food, food being a part of the life, and the restaurant business, really. And as his place was a steakhouse, he put me to work there in the summers as I was growing up. So I, I have spent a day, I've never gone to culinary school, but I have spent a day on the broiler station, on the saute station, fry, everything in a restaurant uh, that you could. But my love of barbecue really began uh, when, uh, during our travels uh, in the summer and the holidays to visit my grandparents that lived in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, the Tidewater area near Virginia Beach. And nestled okay. right before there was a, it's still there, Pierce's Pit Barbecue. It's a, it's a, It's been there since, I don't know, it's been there forever, like 40, 50 years now maybe longer and they do pit uh, North Carolina style barbecue pulled pork and my dad was just fascinated it was like his favorite thing is to get a pulled pork sandwich with the coleslaw on it and a cold icy cold Dr. Pepper and that that 
experience with my dad it left such a huge impression on me and then we'd always go home we would never try to do the barbecue because he was never home enough to, to do the low and slow but we would make steaks and we would try to recreate the barbecue sauces that we had so that was really where the love of barbecue began the bar fast forward many years i'm an adult i have my own children i spent uh, my career in it i was an it executive for 25 plus years and i just as a escape i'm not a golfer you know i'm not much of a sportsman in that way so when a lot of my friends from work were golfing on the weekends or playing uh, flag football or whatever they did i cooked and i would love to go out and grill and uh thus the journey began i went from gas grills like most of us did i got my very first smoker i got a stephen reichland's uh, barbecue usa book as a gift from my wife one Father's Day, and then I got a smoker, the Weber Smoky Mountain, and I spent two or three years smoking on the Weber Smoky Mountain and really getting into it. And at the point that I was so into it and so just had to do it more, uh, I knew I needed a different grill. And uh, that's how I did all the research. And back then, uh, yeah. the best on the market was the Big Green Egg. And I got the Big Green Egg. And then this feels like a very long answer to your question. Got the big green egg, started cooking on the big green egg. Then my daughter showed me Instagram back in 2010. And I was just okay. one of the very first people, you know, I used yeah. Facebook and all the other social media and I didn't see another reason why I was going to post pictures of my kids or my dogs or me on yet another social media platform. I just didn't think that people wanted to see it on Facebook. They don't need to see it again. <laughs> Instagram. So I right. just started randomly taking pictures of uh, 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 and posting about things that I was creating on the Big Green Egg. And before I knew it, there was a whole Big Green Egg community out there that I became a part of and joined. And uh, it really built a family around that. The name, the Barbecue Buddha, when that started rolling, you know, I was doing that for fun. I started cooking with the Dizzy Big competition barbecue team with Chris mm -hmm. Capel and those guys and gals. In Northern Virginia, got a little taste of competition barbecue, the barbecue world. Uh, got my barbecue judge certification so I could really walk the walk and, and know what I was doing. And, uh, I, you know, I needed a name. At this point, you know, a bunch of us that had been on Instagram were like, uh, you know, all coming up with cool names and, and stuff. Yeah. And I couldn't think of a cool name. I was like, what, what, the, what the heck am I going to call myself? I can't just be Chris Sussman anymore. That's no fun. Yeah. And so uh, I, I have a deep love of uh, Eastern philosophy. I love reading books about Buddhism. I like meditation. I wish I practiced it more. And I was having this type of conversation with my uh, wife one night, late night in bed. And uh, she was like, well, why don't you just come in and be a Buddha, you know, be a Buddhist all the time? I said, yeah. I just can't do the, the vegetarian thing. I can't give up eating meat. I love to barbecue too much. And he goes, ah, yeah. screw that, she said. She said, just be the both. Be the barbecue Buddha. And that's where the name, it just like, it hit me, you know, and like with it. those ideas that you get. And I immediately started Googling, there must be another barbecue Buddha out there. There wasn't. And so the name was born the very next day. I started to get all that stuff in place. So that's the long, long answer to your short question. Yeah, so 2010, you started kind of the, the social media thing. And yep. you referenced it. There were, there weren't a lot of barbecue guys out there. You were, it was, it was kind of the, the wild west, the frontier of kind of food on Instagram and kind of being part of what were, what were those early days like? Was it, uh, does it feel different back then than it does now? Like what, what were those differences <laughs> yes. for you? I mean, it's uh, it, it is so different now. It, it it would be the equivalent of if somebody from like the 1950s went to 2022. That's how much different <laughs> the landscape is. And yeah, I don't know how long you've been on Instagram or doing the social media game, but it seems as every six months it radically changes, and all of us influencers have to figure out the new algorithm and what we're doing and what's what. And you know, the imitation game begins, but uh, it's it's dramatically different. Um, and uh, but back then there were some names. Uh, if we remember Big Green Craig, Big Green Craig, who's Craig Tabor, and I were very good friends and did a lot of work together early on. I was supposed to cook with him on the 2015 team with Jack Arnold and all these guys: Jack Arnold, Tim Shelburne, um, Tony and Maribel, um, uh, Funk Funk Meister, Funk Meister <laughs> Barbecue. I think that's his handle. I mean, it's just there it was just a small small core group of us that were all super duper big green egg heads, uh, and it was really less about um, 
back then it was really less about teaching and w technique and what we were doing. There was absolutely no video on the platform back then. The technology hadn't advanced uh, enough to allow for video. And it was really right. just a bonding thing. Like, hey, I made this awesome brisket or made this pulled pork or I did these awesome ribs and you would take pictures. And this was before DSRs and all that stuff. So it was really, to me, it was much more of a way that you connected with all of your friends and now a family type of people um, on this digital platform to build a community. And so much different than it is now, for sure. Yeah, you mentioned no video. Now it's it's totally the opposite. If you post a photo, you're, you're just, nobody's going to see it. It's, uh, you're, you're just going to post it to, you might as well just go into your closet, take a picture and, and leave it there because that's who's going to see your photo if you post it these days. Yeah, it's uh, and and you know I suspect either a competitor is going to come out and rival that, challenge that, and or Instagram will somehow figure out how to bring that back, even though they come out and say that they're not actively suppressing right. photos. But you know, TikTok really seismically changed everything, and uh, you know, and the rest of the platforms, even the mighty YouTube, is playing catch up and uh, and really pushing their shorts and their short form video formats. It's just it's uh, it's it's a lot. The good news is, especially for influencers and and people today just starting, rapid ascension is possible. Um, you know, back in the good old days, if you had 10,000 followers, you were really doing, unless you were Kim Kardashian or some famous person, you were really doing something right or to capture people's attention. You were, you were yeah. severely hustling. Now, um, it just seems that, you know, every time you take a look, somebody has 150,000 followers that's taken some of us, you know, years and years and years to do. And it's just the nature of the way that the engine works and the way people are looking Mm -hmm. at that stuff and of course just really great content the people are are, are very driven personality driven and it's it's a neat landscape but I, I like what it's doing to me personally it's challenging me and it's not letting me just rest on previous work it's making me have to rethink what i'm doing so that's that's it so you you said you were a, an it executive at, yep. at what point did you say enough it i'm going full-time buddha so it um it was <laughs> it was about six months before COVID hit, you know, maybe if oh, I that's had good timing. Yeah, it was really good timing, you know, all kidding aside, it was terrible timing. I lived in Louisville at the time. Uh I bought a big smoker, you know, I'd convinced myself, Oh man, I've got a big name of barbecue. I'm very well localized in Louisville. I'm gonna start I had all these breweries and, and bars signed up to have me come and cook. I had my licensing, I was doing a lot of catering, I was doing a lot of events it was all rapidly happening for me just as i had wanted it to and then COVID happened um so that aspect of uh, of what i'm doing i'm not really and then i move so we could get into that in a bit but for me um it's you know from 2010 to 2014 i was just doing it really for fun 2014 is when I started taking it more seriously. I did the blog. I got the trademark. I got my first logo done. The first website was up. I started actively taking food photography courses and all of that kind of oh, stuff. Wow. Um, so between 2014 to 2017 is really where I started to experience the the growth and attention and the, the stuff that came along with Instagram and social media back then. And, and, and by 2018, going into 2019, I knew that I wasn't going to make as much as I was making in the corporate world. But now that my kids are grown and out of the house and, and my wife is gainfully employed, we, we were in a position where I could follow my passion. So that's exactly what I did. And that move from Louisville to Florida, did all that kind of transpire the same time you kind of left IT and you said we need a change of scenery and everything or what, what brought you to Florida? Well, ish, it was, it was really, I left IT, I, I moved to Louisville. So this is like way, but I guess this is what you do a podcast. So f uh, forgive me audience of this podcast, if you're getting too much information <laughs> about me. Um, but I was living in Northern Virginia, which for those of you that don't know Northern Virginia, that's where, uh, a suburb of Washington, DC. And it's just a uh, fast paced, high volume environment from traffic to people mm -hmm. to jobs to stress to all of that so at the time that my son who's i can't believe this is now about to turn 29 
at the time he was ready, willing, and able after college to get a place on his own. My wife and I gently pushed him out of the nest and waited about six months. And when he didn't come home crying and upset that he, he needed to come <laughs> back home, we felt confident we could move out of D.C. So that was a really tough thing for us. And we moved to Louisville, which is my wife's hometown. And the thought of being in Louisville was, hey, it's a smaller town. We could set up shop. I could focus on the business. I could build the barbecue business. It's, you know, it's a, it's a better avenue, better tip of the spear thing for me. And then what really changed is we had a vacation property that we would Airbnb out and come use on occasion down here in the Florida area. That when COVID hit, we came down and just spent six months because we were like, well, if we got to be stuck at home, we're going to be stuck at home where there's a pool and a beach and stuff that you could Mm do. And you're not going to go total stir crazy. And when we came down here for that six month, six month stretch, we just fell in love with the area so much and the people and the friends, it just better suited our lifestyle. We decided that after that stretch, we would go back and sell and move. So I've had a tremendous amount of change and not only starting the fact that I have any operating business or any followers at all should be amazing to all of you because I've moved twice. I've gotten my kids <laughs> off to college and all that stuff. We've, we've sold stuff. We bought stuff. We had a business. It's all going. So, but now we're finally settled into Florida and here we are. So yes, it's good. Where did, where did you meet your wife? I met her at work, uh, as it turns out. Um, we worked at the same company, um, 2000 and about 2000, you know, so 22 years ago. Both of our second marriages, um, we were both going through a rough breakup at the time. We met each other, became really good friends, and, uh, and then love happened, and here we are. So that's uh, how I met the wife. And uh, she has an affinity for the smoked meats, I hope. She loves uh, barbecue. Um, she has, <laughs> that's a great question, actually. And for those of you all that know me and my life and Mrs. Buddha very well, you know this and you're laughing probably right now. But she has this, I don't know if condition is the right word. It's actually a really great quality. I wish I had it to a certain extent. She has a um, heightened sense of smell and taste. Like she's one of those people okay. that have did the blind tasting. She go, that's cumin. That's, that's shrimp paste. I mean, she just can taste anything and know exactly what's in there. The problem with having such an accentuated palate flavor profile is that things that are highly acidic, tomatoes, lemons, berries, things that are high on the acid scale, she doesn't like because it's just too pronounced. So for me, I always have to balance it out and do all these things, which I like to do. So she loves barbecue, but the quarter Italian in me, she does not like tomato sauce or Italian food in any way, shape, or form, which it's I, I try to live with. I tell her all the time, you're perfect in every way, darling, but Except. if there's one thing I could change about you, it's your love or your lack of love for tomatoes. I wish you would love tomatoes. So yeah. So like coffee she I can't work. do, I imagine. She doesn't do coffee. And here's how you know she's not, you know, BSing us all with this, you know, just some sort of funky palate. She doesn't like chocolate because chocolate Unless it's milk it's chocolate ice. with a ton of milk in there and, and cream and mm-hmm. sugar, chocolate actually is a bitter taste to it that she doesn't like. So well, go figure. That's always a good wow. test. If she doesn't like chocolate, then she so, can't be lying to us. <laughs> There's no she, way. Is she your toughest critic then? Yeah, but you know how that goes. I mean, everybody in your circle, I'm actually my toughest critic. Because, um, okay. especially when I was really cutting my teeth, I mean, you, you know, possibly you could relate or people listening could relate. You tend to get a lot of um, haters on the interwebs, you know? And so you're, you're like highly critical of yourself from an aesthetic perspective and a technique perspective. Mm. When it, At the same time, you're learning. And at the same time, you're, you're cooking and then you're the videographer and you're the sound person. You're doing all of this type of stuff. So for me, it's, uh, it drives me bananas. She's usually, oh, this is pretty good. And I'm like, no, I did X, Y, or Z. And it's to the layman. They usually can't tell. So no, I try to be my toughest critic. Um, it works. It, what, what's that one thing that you make at home that is always a home run for her when, when you make it? Uh, there's two things that she likes. One, for people that follow me, they saw this on my stories last night. I make, um, I, I got really bored with turkey burgers when turkey burgers were a thing, you know, 10 or so years ago. 
and I tried to amp up turkey burgers. So I've come up with this recipe where I grate a zucchini and I chop a red onion and I put like a grated cheddar cheese inside with the turkey mix, season it, and then grill them. Mm-hmm. They're, if you, if, I know people always squeam when you say turkey burger, but these are, God, just delicious turkey burgers. <laughs> so it's like her fa- that's her favorite comfort food of mine to, to grill, and I grilled those last night. And then uh, even though I have made a name for myself grilling and outdoor cooking, I love to cook indoors almost as much as I do outdoors. And so I'm pretty good on the wok and I make these Buddha bowls, you know, so they're either Thai inspired or Chinese inspired. And I can make these really good stir fries with a homemade sauce that's in one of those two veins and, you know, use a protein and over rice. And she really likes those. Those are my two go to for Mrs. Buddha. So, you know, you said you came from kind of a foodie family. Uh, Dad was in, in the restaurant business you kind of went through, were you always working kind of growing up as a high school kid? Were you just always automatically in the restaurant? Yeah. So it's kind of weird for those of you that are either in the restaurant business or had a family member in the restaurant business, you know how lax your life was, especially in the high school years. Cause my dad was never home running a restaurant. He's there, you know, six, seven days a week. They were closed Sunday, so he was home Sunday, usually nursing hangovers. Um, But, uh, you know, he would be at home uh, or be at work all during the week. So when you're in high school, especially a charming young high schooler such as myself that like to have fun, (laughs) my house would always be the house that I'd have the party because there's no parental supervision. My sister would be spending the night at her friend's house, and I would be um, having the party of the week at, uh, at my house. But during the summers, when all of my friends would be going to the beach with their families and summer vacations and taking trips with all of their friends, he'd put me to work in the restaurant and literally started me at the bottom at age 12 was my first summer in my dad's restaurant. And I spent that whole summer washing dishes. Mm. And then next year, I made it up to prep chef. So then I was peeling soft shell crabs and trimming steaks and prepping vegetables and all that stuff. And literally every summer from that point of life until I got into college, I worked a different position in the restaurant. Mm. So I worked my way through the kitchen. I worked my way through bartending, uh, being on the floor, waiter, uh, busboy, up to maitre d' and manager. And so, yeah, I I did it all. He put me to work. And it's, you know, to this day, it's, it's the greatest work ethic that has been instilled in me is through my dad. So it's great. Yeah. And, and now you can look back at that and that's, that's, there's some ordinary providence there that just, you are learning these skills, those skills with the, the soft shell crab that now you're, you're putting to use today when you go to an event and they're like, Hey, we're going to cook soft shell crab. And you're like, fantastic. I, I did that when I was 14 and I know how to do it. Or you, you, the ability to just get in there and prep some things like none of that scares you because you just, it's in your, it's in your blood. It's just kind of natural to you. Yeah, and plus just the work. I mean, it's funny, but a lot of people yeah. that do what I do, it's great. And there's no disrespect to any of the people that I cook with or hang out with. But you notice you go to live events with them, and they, they it's hard for them to dis, disassociate from the social media aspect of, hey, this is what got me here to this event. Compared to, hey, I'm cooking an event that's going to be feeding 4,500 people. I need to roll up my sleeves and <laughs> put down the phone for I 10 minutes. I need to actually work. And get to work. And so um, for me, that's always, e- even in the world that I do right now, it's always easy to do that work because I just grew up with that work ethic. When there's stuff to do, you just got to roll up your sleeves and do it. And it make, it, it's what makes me tick. I love to work. Charleston is, uh, for those that have been know what an amazing food city it is right now. There are some of my, my favorite restaurants, uh, actually one of my, my favorite barbecue spots there. Uh, Lewis barbecue is there in Charleston. Mm. And I absolutely love what, what John Lewis has, has done there. Talk about what your dad did in that city. I'm just kind of curious. You said he, he really helped put them on the map from a food perspective. What, uh, what, what was he doing there in Charleston? What restaurants and what was he kind of uh, responsible for in that food resurgence there? So he he owned three restaurant concepts in the Washington, D.C. area in the late 70s, all through the 80s. And then he got out of it around 92, 93, I think was the year that he got out mm-hmm. of business in D.C. And he went to retire and he went to uh, the Carolinas thinking that he was going to 
you know, lounge and retire with, and he, he just couldn't. So he started getting into consulting and working for a lot of restaurant groups down there gotcha. doing consulting. He really got into wine, developing wine lists and all that stuff. Right preceding that time, there was the a bad hurricane that hit Charleston. So my memory is a little bit lax on exactly when it was and the, the name. Year, I think sure. it might have been Andrew. And that city really got devastated in the preceding 10 years after that. They really built up the city, especially downtown. So Charleston was really one of the first American cities, unfortunately, due to the hurricane, to really have that resurgence now that you're seeing across the country. So mm -hmm. at the time that they rejuvenated their downtown area and their market place and all of that stuff my dad was active in the consulting area and he worked with hanks that did the three or four very famous i think they're still in existence now in the hank restaurant group and then he worked mm -hmm. for him Hank's oyster house I've, I've, i should know these names and then he ultimately did that for several years and then he decided to open up mo sussman steakhouse in the early 2000s i think it was right. my it's, and uh, and he was in business, you know, four or five years. But then my dad's age started catching up with him, and he had mm. he had a pretty bad heart attack on the job. You know, not nothing bad. It was like late night after everything closed down. And he was doing the books and all that stuff. He didn't feel well. He had to go to the hospital, and I think that was his wake up call. That he was like, hey, you know, the days of me smoozing the people on the floor and running a restaurant, a high stress thing and smoking tons of cigarettes and drinking copious amounts of scotch at a, at, at my age is probably not so good. So he, he got out of it for good. And oddly enough, ended up in Cocoa beach, Florida, not too far from where I am now. Well, that's great. Yeah. Now, uh, you are, we mentioned earlier, a member of the big green egg team. What was, when did that happen? When was that as, you know, as in your storyline, at what point did, did they approach you and say, hey, we, we want you to be one of our guys? Uh, uh, thanks. Good question. Um, so I'm one of the few. In fact, I think maybe I don't want to call anybody out, but I definitely know that Jack Arnold and I maybe made Maybe. I don't know. I think of the three of us that were on the, the original team, BGE Team Green, all of us owned, bought, and had Big Green Egg stuff. We were Big Green Eggers on Instagram and in our life mm -hmm. before, <clears throat> excuse me, before the team was put together. So though we have gotten stuff, we were Big Green Egg heads and cooking on Big Green Eggs and Big Green Egg you, ambassadors. You were a fan before. and you were using the product before... It wasn't I like was they a, were just like, "Hey, would you would you like to use our stuff?" You were you were an yeah. egghead. You were in it. Yeah, I mean, I eventually got to a point where it was like, "Send me something." I've, all these guys are getting <laughs> are getting nests and eggs, and I've already bought all this stuff. Send me something. But uh, but yeah, I was a super fan boy, if you will, that got asked by the very thing I was a fanboy for um, to be a part of this team that they were putting together. And then not only that, but like uh, within six months of joining the team and being on that, you know, they flew me to, I got, you know, flown to Atlanta several times to film and write recipes to do. So it was really flattering for me, still is to this day, that my videos are up on the Big Green Egg website. I have a profile up there. I write recipes. They're all over. And then I represent a great company. So, yeah, it went, it went really quickly from being a fanboy and just doing my thing to, I got the call from Rob and they were putting this team together and they wanted me on it. So it was, it was, it was fast and a very cool experience. So when they call you today and they say, Hey, we want you down at Memphis in May uh, as yep. part of the team. And we want you to go, go cook and you're going to cook a VIP area and you're going to cook for 500 people. Yep. What, what still gets you excited to go do that? Because at this point, you could very easily be like, I've been there, done that. Like, yeah, I've been Memphis and May. I've cooked. I've done these VIP things. But what still gets you excited to go do one of those cooks? Because you said they're they're a lot of they're hard work. You mentioned yeah, it's, that it's very hard work. I mean, and 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 Mel. That's why I love working with Mel, Dark Side of the Grill, um, because he's no schluff to hard work. The two of us are a great team together. We worked at a Vegas event earlier this year. And then, and then because of that, we worked so well, we were brought back in to do the Memphis and May event. And the two of us just are roll up your sleeve kind of people and work, work, work. Plus we know how to put on a show and get everybody hyped up. So for me, it's, um, it's in particularly since the move, I haven't gotten localized down here in Florida yet. So I'm not doing any live events or pop-ups or anything. I, I have yet to figure that out. And I'm doing that now with my wife. 
Um, so for me, what gets me really excited about these events still to this day, despite the hard work, is getting out and meeting people. Um, uh, I'm not a celebrity per se, but I am a person that people feel connected to and feel like they know because of my personality on the Internet. So it's really neat having mm -hmm. that connection when I meet someone like you in real life. In actual real life, we get to shake hands, hug, have a beer, you know, share the barbecue and talk all that type of stuff. So that's first and foremost. <clears throat> this year was in particularly neat for me because I've done Memphis in May a couple times before cooking in Barbecue Alley, which is a featured event that Big Green Egg sponsors inside of Memphis in May, where they bring in a bunch of pitmasters from around the country and they serve people barbecues people that go as civilians to barbecue festivals think they're going to be eating barbecue all day long and they right. don't they eat hot dogs <laughs> and waffle fries and all the what the vending trucks are so big green egg puts on this thing barbecue alley where they've got demonstrations by big green eggs in the middle of the event but people can walk around and get a rib or brisket and baked beans and the real barbecue experience so i've done that for many years but this was the first year that I had been asked to cook in the VIP tent. And so it was very exciting for me because the first time they did this, Matt Pittman from Meat Church was the VIP cook. And then he did that for a couple of years. Then Dr. Barbecue from Dr. Barbecue was the VIP cook. And then now I got past the baton. So, you know, talking about standing on the shoulders of giants, being able to follow in the footsteps of people like Matt Pittman and Dr. Barbecue was a big, big bonus for me. Yeah, and I think even there's there's a wonderful humility about what you just said, too, just kind of recognizing that there are folks that kind of went went ahead of you, uh, that kind of laid the groundwork for you, that are, you know, big celebrities in this in this area. And and I, I really I appreciate that, that kind of humble, humble spirit. Yeah, to me, it's it's really the every time I get myself checked in the ego game, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I'm somebody for this, that, or the other. I just have to remind myself. And this is where the Buddhism stuff comes in to be very mindful of that is, you know, to me, none of this is a zero sum game. You don't have to lose for me to win and, and vice versa. So there's room enough for all of us. And, and you may have seen 2 million brisket videos or blog posts, but some people gravitate towards me as a person, personality and some people gravitate towards someone else. So it's no disrespect to them or to me that we're doing the same thing or in the same swim lane. And, and I, and I have found in my experience a, that keeps me sane, you know, from playing the, what in there? And, and then two, it keeps me humble, which is where I want to stay. I don't ever want to, I have a physically large head, as your viewers may see, if you use the video from here, but I don't want to have an ego-sized head to match, match my physical head. So you, you, you're very similar to me a little bit, I think, in, the, uh, in your journey through like your smoker journey. I started Gas Grill as well, then kind of went to a, char griller dual thing something i you know i had a firebox on one side a gas on the other and then went to the weber smoky mountain like you uh and then didn't go green i went red so i'm i'm kamado kamado joe but same style cooking great cooker what do you what do you think about the kind of that the pellet revolution like where where do you do, do you have an opinion on that and what it has done or for for barbecue in general I, I do, and it surprises some folks, though I don't know why. I'm I'm not I'm very pro live fire cooking for me personally because I like the um, I like the visceral nature of working with the flames and the the ambiguity of what they're going to do and how they like the yep. coals and what's the cooker doing now and you know I like all of those extra variables for me just the way I've wired myself to ADD to just have a button to push and to have <laughs> yeah. it just work and no disrespect to pellet grills and all that kind of stuff um, because I know there's more to it than just press, prepping a button. It's how you tend to the meat and how you prep it and what you rub it with and how you take care of it during the time and all that. There's plenty of techniques. So the long answer to your short question is, had pellet grills had been around and marketly available at the time I had made the decision to buy the Big Green Egg, I may have bought a pellet grill, pellet grill. And I yeah. may be sitting here having this conversation with you because I was somebody on Team Traeger as opposed to, to Big Green Egg, um, but I didn't. But for me, telling somebody that's new to barbecue and that is on a gas grill right now or a 
you know, an old Weber or something that they want to upgrade and get into. They see us on Instagram. They want to get into the game. I absolutely endorse people's decisions to buy a pellet grill because if that's what gets them outside and cooking and them passionate about this, then that's a plus and it's one more we get in our community. So I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, they have their place just with any other grill on the market. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is a, uh, it is a gateway grill a gateway smoker it lets more people under the tent get some outside get some cooking get some creating something i i think there there is this segment of the barbecue community that that looks down there's almost like this uh this imaginary kind of hierarchy of, of grills you know it's it's gas grill is the you know if, if you're a live fire guy gas grill is you know it's it's the worst and then it it probably goes up to like electric grill maybe electric grill is is worse you know uh pellets uh, then what uh, like offset maybe uh, i don't know uh kamado it, may, it probably just then you know where does it go you know like what's the what's the most studly I th- and and by what measure you know i right. i had a 250 gallon offset smoker that i used for two years when i was in louisville before i sold it and the move down here last year <clears throat> and one thing that i learned really quickly after mastering that i don't know if i mastered it but getting good enough to cook for people live what that is it's a lot of work there is a reason why you know over the last 20 years a lot of barbecue restaurants went away from the pit master and all of that because it 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 doesn't it's not tenable to cook all of that and to have it fresh every day and not to be able to reuse that that old-fashioned way you literally sit there tending the fire and doing all that stuff for 12 to 16 hours and then you've got to go pack it up and take it to the event to go serve at the event. So they're long days. And I'm not, I'm not um, ashamed to admit that. I'm glad I went through that experience. I'm glad that I got that skills and knowledge. I could do it again. I would do it again. But I realized at my age and my station in life, that was too much of a commitment for my barbecue lifestyle. So um when I had to downsize and move to a smaller place and a smaller footprint down here in Florida, that was an easy decision. Now, does that make me less of a barbecue guy? Does it make me less of a griller? Maybe in some people's eyes, but right. I hope not. You know, I hope not. The experience was the same. So yeah, and I think there's there's you know unless you're out <clears throat> cooking with you know freshly harvested river rocks and making your own uh, you know stove next to the river there's still going to be somebody looking down on you at some level uh, you yeah. know saying you're just you you're cooking with a kamado you're you're not uh, you're not the real deal but right you mentioned mel uh, from dark side of the grill uh, you guys seem to have a a pretty special relationship uh, how how did that all start for the two of you guys i'm kind of curious i've i've seen just your some might call it a bromance a little bit uh, on the definitely a on the internet uh, <laughs> here. But how, how did you guys how did you meet and and just what was it that made you guys just know, hey, we're we're brothers because that's the <clears throat> feeling I get when I see you guys together. So you, you can't help but love Mal. I mean, uh, when you see him on the internet and all of his stick and all the kind of stuff that he is, it, it, it's immediately charismatic and you're drawn to him. It almost doesn't matter what he's cooking, right? The way he yeah. pronounces things and all that stuff. So just from from a pure human element, I was attracted to Mal just on his feed going, man, when you get these little tidbits of him doing X, Y, Z, they're really interesting to me. It makes me stop and, and watch his post or look at his post. But it was, I think, 2017, if the date's not right. It was probably 2017, maybe 16, maybe 18, somewhere around there. <clears throat> it, was an, it was an Egg-toberfest where they brought in more of the BGE Team Green people, a lot more. The first year when they had it for the first time, it was just Melissa, Melissa Riome, Grill Mama, if we remember her. And Chris Campbell from Campbell's Barbecue. We were the mm-hmm. first three BGE team members to cook in an Oktoberfest. That was way back in 2016, something, somewhere along those lines. Yeah. But the one where they brought in a big group of us, Captain Ron and all these people, Mel was one of the people they brought down. And I, he was a guy I was really curious to meet because, and I'm sure like most of you that have seen his stuff and don't know him personally, have the same thought. My thought was... It's all BS. 
Mel mm. has this character, and there's no way in the world he's actually like this. He's going to be this nebbish, quiet guy in the background or wear a hat and a fedora. I, I didn't know what I expected, but I didn't expect him to be exactly as he was, if not better <laughs> in real life. So we meet this weekend, and the Ectoprofessor are a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun. And so Mel and I mean, and as I'm getting to know him over the weekend... I'm really starting to see this guy is really, he doesn't pretend. And then we discover we have lots of similar interests. We love drinking bourbon. We love smoking cigars. So what do we do? You know, at the end of the first day one, you know, we're, we're the guys closing down the bar, smoking cigars, drinking bourbon. We're the first one at the festival the next day setting up and cooking. I'm like, okay, I like this guy's work ethic. He plays yeah. hard. He, he works hard. That's my motto. That's what I want to do. I'm not there just to show a pretty face. I'm there to work, right? So we worked. We worked the whole day long. Then again, played very hard that night. And the next day, we're all meeting in the lobby to saying our goodbyes and all that stuff. And I noticed everybody's leaving, and Mel was planning to stay because it was his very first trip to the United States, and he was planning to stay at that hotel and he had arranged it with big green egg that he could stay an extra couple of days. So he's going to stay there and just do the mail thing from this hotel yeah. where the festival was, but no one was going to be there. He was just going to be there by himself. And at this point in time, Chris Campbell, who lived about two hours away from, or he still does live two hours away from, uh, Atlanta, Georgia was having a Oktoberfest after party at his house so he got all this amazing food from our sponsors lobster anywhere snake Farm. everybody sent food down there he fired up all of his grills his offset his fancy pizza oven his uh, art of flame had it all going pool party and he hosted this amazing after party for a handful of us bge team members that wanted to go to his house well he didn't know mel at the time so i went in and asked chris i said hey chris Sky Mel is just staying at the hotel for the whole weekend. Do you think he could come to your house if he comes with me? He goes, hell yeah, bring him. So Mel and I spent two hours in a car driving from Atlanta to this place. And then at the end of that two hours, uh, I don't think, A, I've ever laughed as hard in my entire life. And B, we just, you know, immediately, without any pretense, just got to know the real people on the other side of our personalities and stuff. And then that weekend... We cooked together this just amazing food and ate and drank. It was just a continuation of the first part of this story. And then I had the pleasure of driving him back to the airport because our planes were relatively at the same time. And, and I, you know, and I remembered saying to Mel, I said, Mel, I, you know, I know you briefly on Instagram. I see what you're posting, but for you, you need to be on Instagram showing this amazing humor and personality that you have, because that's, what's going to make it for you. And that's, you know, I don't take credit for Mel because I don't deserve any credit. I just like to push people in the right direction. Yeah. But immediately after that exchange is when Mel started wearing the robe and just really letting his personality hang out <laughs> and video became a play. So that, that sort of galvanized our relationship, uh, forever that, that thing. And it's proved to be a good thing. And I mean, uh, hopefully there was some type of uh, formal agreement and you you're getting 10% off the top, I assume, right? <laughs> I have, I did, I did profess to Mel as I was driving him to the airport. I said, Hey, I'll ditch barbecue Buddha today and become your full-time manager. I think you're the real deal. And you're going to, you're going to blow up in some form or fashion. I'll be your manager. We haven't worked those details out yet, but it is an <laughs> offer that I have, that I have put on the table. So and you mentioned, you know, he, he put on the robe and that kind of thing, but what he probably did was he was always wearing the robe. He was just now rolling tape, wearing the robe around the house. You know, it was just uh, he let people in to who he really was. And and you're right. That is part of part of his charm for sure. Yeah. And if you think about that, this was pre COVID and this was pre TikTok. So at this yeah. point in time on Instagram, if you go back four or five years, pictures were king you know if you had that kill shot of your finished dish or your brisket or the sliced meat or whatever have you i mean you know it had red and green in it oh my god you're gonna get you know a hundred thousand likes and all that other kind of crazy stuff if you did a video it was those tasty videos you know all my videos back then you never really saw my head until the end like i did the buddha bite that was novel back then and i keep doing it because everybody associates me with it but now there's yeah. a dime a dozen of people biting and eating food on camera. Back then, 
you didn't see people eat. You didn't see their face. You just would hmm. see the top down on the camera and them assembling the food and how do you make it. And so that was the style back then. So for Mel to, to, to be brave enough in himself and, and to show this sign up behind the scenes was really, was really uh, prescient of him because it really foreshadowed all of the things to come with TikTok and, and kind of like this... It's going to sound like an insult. It's not. But it, when TikTok came in, the 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 style of video now is much less curated. It's much more organic. It's much more, hey, I'm sitting with this person in their house, watching them cook, watching them do their thing, mm -hmm. as opposed to these highly stylized videos that were all the thing back then. So, yeah, Mel took a leap of faith, and it paid off well for him. He's doing well. Yeah, I think, you know, there's this common ground that you guys had of – of big green egg of barbecue uh and then you you spend two hours in the car and you get real with each other and uh you know you're going to find out a lot on a little road trip like that uh whether you're with somebody or against somebody and it's obvious that uh you guys are are for each other and you guys have a really cool project that you're getting ready to do the two of you you're doing officially a podcast as well we are. The dates are a little bit squishy because we're, we're, you know, we're, we're trying not to do. Listen, too my date, my dates were squishy for, a, <laughs> my dates were squishy for so long. I felt so yeah. bad for my very first podcast that I recorded. Uh, David Olson from Live Fire Republic. I recorded it back in May, and I was like, yeah, like it's it's going to be really like probably in the next you know four to six weeks. And literally, it was like three months later. Uh, finally, got it launched. So I understand squishy dates. Yeah. So it's, tell me a little bit about what you guys are going to do. So it's, uh, it, you know, during the uh, pandemic, one of the things that Mel did with one of our other BGE teammates, Titletown Grillers, they started this weekly after the cook Instagram live session where they would just, after they finished cooking for the day, they would sit there and drink bourbon and smoke cigars and just chat and they would have a person on. And that did pretty well. Mel built a pretty good audience for there. Chris uh, got uh, busy once COVID sort of ebbed and he had to go back into work and all that other stuff. Commitments took him away from doing that. So I filled in there for a while because the chemistry between Mel and I so well as we've outlined here. Uh, but our goal when we really started to do this and what we really were talking about in person and offline was this is great, but there's a lot of limitations to Instagram Live. You can't, the sound quality, I tried to figure out the sound quality, I tried to improve it, and we never could. And we wanted this to have a bigger audience and a, and a, a bigger reach. That, And we also mm -hmm. wanted it to not be a chance to just sit down and drink and smoke on live on air. We wanted to curate a better experience and focus our personality. So we've dusted yeah. off after the cook. It's now going to be a podcast. It is a video audio podcast, so it will be on audio only channels, but it, we do have a YouTube channel that we're setting up for it. We have a producer, so we've got a third party that's helping us uh, put it in and uh, collate all the stuff that we record on Riverside and such in the background we're working right now to get the professional voiceovers recorded for the introduction and the theme music and, and the artwork for the channel and the website all set up. So all of that's happening right now in the background and Mel and I are feverishly at work um, recording content and getting stuff in the hopper so that when everything is aligned and ready, then we could drop it and we could be ahead of the game. As you know, you don't want to be in a yep. position where you get everybody excited. You drop an episode and it's six months later, you have another episode. So yeah. that's where we're in the process. Now we're hoping to launch uh, before the end of the year would be a goal or maybe mid to late November. That's great. Well, we'll look forward to it. And uh, of course we'll let, uh, let folks know when you, do get that uh, get that out there. You mentioned uh, you've got a love of cigars. You've got you've got your own cigar. Is that right? Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, one of my sponsors is CigarClub.com. I highly recommend it. If you use the code Barbecue BBQ Buddha B U D D H A, you get twenty percent off your first order. It's a really yeah, good deal. Look at that. And they, uh, the, what their shtick is, huh? Look at that shtick. Um, shtick for the stick. Shtick. Um, yeah. Their shtick is, is they curate cigars based on your preferences. So you fill out like a profile, like a medium strong, da 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 da, and then they'll start sending you random cigars, and you grade them. I like this. I don't like that. And over time, you basically build 
your cigar DNA with their database to where you get the cigar shipment once a month with these curated cigars for your palate. Well, I've been working with them for a couple of years and they reached out to me earlier this year on a project wanting to launch the Barbecue Buddha cigar. And so I actually tested about 20 plus cigars, went through this whole process of determining which of the tobaccos and the, and the wrappers and the binders and stuff that I liked. And once we got that all set, they came up with the cigar and it's out on the market. It was released a couple of months ago and it's doing really well. I think we're, we're almost sold out. So I'm excited about that. Well, that's cool. So you, you, you had to try 20 of them. Yeah. Uh, like was that kind of was that i'm sure at some level that was an enjoyable process but at some level did it become did it start to feel like man this is this is a lot of work and this is this is like almost not enjoyable to smoke all these if you do it where you just sat down and did 20 at one time then yes (laughs) but there's there's (laughs) there's a there's a way to smoke cigars when you're sampling cigars that i didn't know they taught me this that worked okay. out pretty well. So I sort of did it like a March Madness thing. I had four rounds of four or five rounds of four. And I would okay. sit there on my porch and I would have my cigar ashtray and I would light cigar one, smoke that for a couple of minutes, take some notes, put that down, drink some water, kind of clear the palate a little bit and pick up cigar two, do the same thing and do that all the way around the four cigars. And then when I, and then I would look at my rating thing and I would, you know, rank, file them four to one, you know, one being yep. the best. And, uh, and then I would just smoke that one with the second one, a couple of more rounds just between those two to make sure I didn't miss anything. And then that would be the winner from that bracket. And then the next night or the next day or whatever the time period was, I was in no rush. I would do the same thing with another four cigars. So I wouldn't smoke four cigars at one time. I would try four cigars. I would get it down to the one that I absolutely loved and then smoke that. So that would be And then enjoy that one and see it. Yeah, and enjoy that one. And then I had uh, then I had a list of the, my four favorite cigars. And then at the end, I smoked all those four, doing the same test I did at the beginning, and that got me down to the one. Well, we'll make sure we'll put put the notes uh, in our show notes there, the website cigarclub.com, and and that discount code there, just in case somebody wants to take advantage before before they sell out. And then will they will there be any more? Or is it just like gone until you do another one. Uh, I think the first one did well. We may do other runs of that, you know, just keep hitting that one because everybody really seemed to like that profile. But I I wouldn't be shocked to see another collaboration in in the future. I'd like to come up with a, because there's a specific profile for bourbon drinking and cigars. I'd like to work on that one. Mm. Well, I want to move into uh, kind of our our bonus round here at the end. What, uh, What kind of music do you listen to? I am a, uh, <laughs> I'm an old school Grateful Dead guy. I started seeing the Grateful Dead when I was uh, in high school in 1983 and saw the Dead for at least 10 years after that. I stopped touring oh, with wow. them probably 91, 92. And by tour, How many shows overall? The, I don't know. I think I stopped counting around 150 or something like that. I mean, wow. I really saw the Grateful Dead a whole lot back in the day. And yes, with Jerry Garcia and the whole original lineup from the classic 80s lineup so i i was a big fan of the grateful dead and that has made me well steeped into the jam band space so i like fish the new band now that i really like is goose uh but i like that style of music across the board so animal names is what you're into right now (laughs) yeah fish goose yeah the whole thing what is they're out there that you still want to cook that you haven't cooked? Uh, I haven't done crazy stuff. I haven't done an alligator. I haven't done like a whole ostrich egg. I haven't done stuff like that. And so me doing one of those uh, types of cooks where you're cooking wild game um, would be of interest to me. Yeah. And now that I live in Florida, I probably have ample opportunity to cook with alligator. So yeah. Uh, if you're cooking, I think I know the answer. Well, maybe not if you're cooking, but if you're cooking, what are you drinking? Uh, tend to be a bourbon drinker. Um, as I have gotten older, and the beer fans in your audience need to be seated for this, I used to be a very heavy IPA, heavy hops, heavy, bold IPAs, and I still love them more than anything. I just can't drink them anymore. They're too too strong yeah. for me. So it's either a bourbon, which sounds weird because the bourbon is definitely stronger, but I sip on the bourbon. Um, yeah. 
So bourbon will be probably number one, and then a nice lager. Like what I've been into lately is either Big Wave, uh, the lager, um, or the, the Kona Brewing Big Wave lager, or Modelo's. I've been drinking a lot of Modelo's. Uh, what's in your, your bourbon cabinet? What, uh, what kind of bourbons are you attracted to? Uh, I have my daily bourbon if I'm just drinking bourbon, cooking and not doing anything is four roses. I like it. It's Mm -hmm. the right price price point for the right quality. Um, but I'm much more on, uh, if you know your good bourbons, I'm much more on the sweeter, lighter bourbons like Basil Hayden, though I do really like the, the weeded and the heavier bourbons. Uh, I like it all. I really like bourbon. So that's a, that's a loaded question. But I like a good, sweet, daily drink of bourbon like Basil Hayden or Four Roses as my first choice. Okay. Yeah. With, uh, with our name, May the Smoke Be With You, obviously we, it's, a, it's a little tip of the hat to, to Star Wars. Are you a, a Star Wars fan? Pretty big Star Wars fan, and somehow YouTube has become aware of my Star Wars fandom because I get just plagued with YouTube. Did you know this about Darth Maul? Did you know this about And I watch them all. So, yes, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Well, if you keep watching them, they're going to keep giving them to you. Well, you it's that, like I get, I'm like a little kid in a candy store. I'm like, no, I don't know who would win in a battle between Darth Vader and Darth Revan. But now I've got to wait till the end to see who you think would win a battle between those two. So, yes. Do you have a, uh, do you have a favorite character? Uh, huh. Never ever thought about that. Um, it definitely is a Darth Vader. I guess, you know, it's cliche to say it now, but when I was a kid in Star Wars Reign Supreme, because I happened to live through episodes four, five, and six, I was a little kid when those episodes, the original episodes came out, I was a big Boba Fett fan. And then they sort of neutered him for a long time, and I didn't like the way they ended his character or or what we thought was the end of his character in Return of the Jedi, but I was always fascinated by Boba Fett and the legends behind who and what he was. And uh, which which of the movies uh, would you can you pick a favorite amongst the movies? Um, Empire Strikes Back is my default choice of the first three of the f- first six. Empire Strikes Back is still uh, yeah. the best. Uh, Rogue One, a spectacular movie. I'm I'm really excited about the prequel that they're doing, the limited series um, Andor or whatever that they're calling it on mm-hmm. Disney Plus that should be coming out soon. So those those two movies I think were the best written directed just uh put together they were great combination of science fiction and story so it was really nice yeah rogue one i thought was fantastic i thought it was a, just a just a blast of a movie um, yeah the only then, the only and you knew it couldn't end well because you knew the story but or, or you sort of knew the story but i, I did get a, a slightly heartbroken at the end because you fall in love with all these characters like they're all yeah. dead and now you never get to follow <laughs> these characters again so yeah spoiler alert for uh, those that yeah. haven't watched it right. <laughs> pretty much pretty much all die they pretty yes. much all die and uh, and, yes. and and right there with you with empire strikes back was always my favorite uh growing up as a kid uh, the ice planet just was was so cool and and all that so i do want to you know give just an opportunity for for our listeners to kind of just hear just real quick your your process if you're just going to go out and and cook ribs it's kind of that that thing that everybody uh wants to master you know as a as a beginning padawan pit master ribs are a thing that they want to do if you could just kind of walk somebody through what your technique and your your process is for ribs buddha ribs what what would that be so ribs are it, it, ribs in particularly are one of those things that i like to dispel you know um three two one is a good back of the envelope thing but how, you can never cook the time in barbecue so that's if, if there's any one piece of advice I could give to anybody right off the bat, time is a variable and it's always changing. So never cook the time. You always cook to either temperature or for me, it's look and feel because you can mm-hmm. tell when these things are done. Um, and I'm so, and then the second thing for me is with ribs, I don't wrap them. So the key with ribs and getting them perfect, I think, is knowing when. Uh, to spritz and add moisture to your environment because for people that are just learning about barbecue smoke flavor and smoke color doesn't come from the white smoke that you see coming out of your smokers Um, that's only for tv and for movies it's the blue smoke (laughs) and why is it blue it's because the combustion is high enough it has to be 600 degrees or higher not your grill but the combustion where it's happening inside that wood 
to release the active component in wood that that gives you the the carbonyl the the flavor compounds and the color compounds that bind to your meat that give you flavor and color and in order for those things to bind because they're gas they need a slightly tacky surface on your meat to do so so it's the balance of is my wheat too wet or is my meat too dry and so it's being able to know everybody you see all these videos and they just have these misters and they're like Shh. to me that's too wet you're laying too much moisture down mm -hmm. on your meat and therefore the gas molecules that need to give you color and flavor are just going to roll right off with the water same mm -hmm. if you just let it sit there so for me ribs two hours don't touch don't look and then every ever hour after that about every 30 minutes come in there and spritz where you start to see dry spots forming on the pellicle. You do that with baby backs for at 250 for four hours, maybe four and a half hours past the bend test. You grab the ribs with the tongs about middle way through the ribs. You pick it up. If the ribs bend break slightly, but don't totally fall off the bone then you're ready to go. If they bend, but the, the meat doesn't break slightly, they need to stay back in. And spares go a little longer because typically they're, they're a little bit longer shape. Um, but five hours pretty much tops for both ribs, and you'll have absolutely perfect ribs. And then I don't like to sauce it while they're still on the smoker mm. because sauce has sugar in it. Put the sauce in an environment, even in a really low heat environment, it could tend to burn that sugar. So what I do is I will sauce the ribs right before they're going to leave the smoker. And then when they're resting on the cutting board, that sauce will set and get nice and tacky, giving you mm. uh, really great barbecue ribs, smoky barbecue ribs with sauce. Uh, th those are, man, those are great tips, especially about uh, the moisture, when to put it in the, into that environment. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, you know, for a long time, I was a I was a wrap guy, kind of a modified three, two, one method. And, and then one time we just, we kind of let them go on natural and the family just absolutely loved them that way. Loved that there's a little bit of a bite versus that just kind of almost too tender could get mushy if they're, you know, kind of overdone in that, in that foil packet. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. If you do it too um, soon in the cook, you're not getting enough smoke flavor or color. If you do it too yep. late in the cook, you're going to steam the ribs and overcook them. So it's kind of like, why do it? I mean, unless you're really in a rush. I saw this video the other day where, like, we did the hot and fast ribs in two hours, and here's how we did it. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And they basically wrapped it for, like, 30 minutes in the middle of this 300-degree cook. And I was like, ah, if this produced ribs like that, that looks pretty good. I'll give that a try. But sans that, I'm not wrapping my ribs. Well, I want to make sure that folks kind of know about some exciting stuff you've got coming up. You're going to be at Oktoberfest uh, there at the Big Green Egg uh, headquarters. I guess that's where that is. That's in October. Is that right? October, Atlanta, Georgia. It's a Cool Ray Field, which is the baseball field, newly okay. built baseball field where the uh, farm team for the Atlanta Braves practices and plays their games. So it's a really nice new location. Um, they're doing something different this year uh, other than the location. The meet and greet is really going to be more of a welcoming party, and members of BGE Team Green will be cooking and doing demonstrations on the Friday night meet and greet event as well as at the main demo stage uh, the next day, hosted by Chef David Reed and Linky, for those that remember and know Linky from uh, the Food Network show that she was on, and she's a big um, celebrity chef that works with Big Green Egg. So, yeah, it's going to be, and it's the biggest lineup of the BGE Team Green members yet. So it's going to be interesting to get all of these people in one space uh, doing their thing. I'll be, I'll look forward to meeting some of these people for the first time and to working with everybody, mostly having a great time. That's going to be a lot of barbecue ego in one spot. A lot of it cooks is. in the kitchen. <laughs> it, it is. And, and, you know, for me, I mean, I've already said it. I, I've, I've pretty much have assigned myself because uh, I'm helping them with the schedule this year. I got tapped to, to, to help work out some of the logistics. So I'm going in a day early to work with Bob and Rob from uh, Big Green Egg headquarters to start to, to, to format everybody. But, you know, another thing at the beginning, this is me not patting myself on the back at all. And really not being acquiescent, but, you know, if somebody that it's their first Eggtoberfest needs that moment to shine on the stage, I'd rather get up there and do my shtick with Mel and, and both of us cook at the same time or me sort of Q&A Mel while he's doing his thing. People know I could cook. People know what I do. And uh, so uh, trying to stay as ego-free from everybody as possible is my main goal for that weekend. <laughs> 
that, that's a that's a good a good strategy to have going in there. Yeah. Also, really exciting news for you. You've uh, you just recently submitted manuscript for a book coming out in uh, April of 23. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect for this this book. So the, the, the I was blessed to have published my first book with Page Street Publishing in April of 2021. Available on my website, barbecuebuddha.com and on amazon.com. Uh, the Four Fundamentals of Smoking was a labor of love. It basically was a utilitarian book. At the time, I had a Traeger and a, and a Weber Smoky Mountain. And so I wrote the book really teaching people. Uh, at the beginning, it was narrative. And so there's the Four Fundamentals of Smoking as I've kind of come through years of learning. Again, not the end-all be-all. It's just my experience and the things yeah. I've learned about smoking. Like I was talking to you about the humidity and stuff. That's one of the fundamentals. Uh, and then the rest was 40, 40 recipes that would work on any backyard cooker or smoker. Uh, this book, they wanted me to go hard in the mat. It's the same publisher, uh, Page Street Publishing. And they came back and said, hey, we love working with you. Your first book did so well. We want you to do a second book. I'm like, great. You know, I'll take a couple years to think of a concept and write the recipes. They're like, no, we want you to do another book right now. <laughs> and it wants to be ready for. And I said, hey, I just moved to a new neighborhood and the whole thing. I, I, I can't. They were like, well, we'll push it out six months. But it's to, so. That was the, the the arrangement for this one. And this one is called, uh, don't tell anybody, please. It's going to be called okay, The Ultimate so. Big Green Egg Cookbook with the Barbecue Buddha, 100 Recipes to Master Your Big Green Egg. So it's, wow. it's full on a recipe book. I do one chapter at the very beginning where I kind of get eggy you know with people like this is how i load yeah. the charcoal this is how i load the thing this is how i light sure. it and this is how i manage temperature but everybody has their own way of doing it so this is a great book for beginners or seasoned vets there's lots of oldies and goodies like ribs and brisket and all that and then there's a lot of new fun stuff in there that uh that uh, i can't wait to show people and people to try well that's uh We'll look forward to that. I will put again in the show notes a link to your to your past book there. And uh, man, I really do appreciate you taking the time today. This has been great. I know our listeners are going to love it. And this has been a pleasure to just get to know you after being a fan of yours on Instagram, following you along. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Well, Joe, you're a great guy. You're one of those people that just sort of popped up on my radar, interacting with content online and then watching your stuff and your, your sort of integration of like talking like Yoda when you respond to posts and your sense of humor that conveys when you create your post is infectious. So hopefully we'll have you on our show one day and, and return the favor. But it was my great honor being a guest of yours for today. That's very kind. Thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for joining us, guys, on this episode of the Made to Smoke You with the podcast. Thanks for listening to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast with Joe Levitt.